Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I had this guest on just a couple weeks ago, and he was so fascinating, and it was just such a fun conversation. I wanted to bring him back, and that's Jake Newton from V Mertz. He's the executive chef. But we get an extra bonus today, and that is that Amanda Sheeler, um, the sous chef at V Mertz, is also joining us. So we've, we just got a whole V Mertz crew going on here. Guys, welcome to the show. Jake's. Thanks for coming back. And Amanda, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Mert is here. We love being here. Thanks for having me back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, we talked enough about you last time. We learned all about you. Just here to listen. Exactly. But so I want to give a quick intro to Amanda. Can you just kind of walk me through kind of how you got to where you are? You you went to Metro Culinary School. You've worked at Avalie. You've worked at Modern Love. Now you're at V Mertz. Just kind of what got you into cooking, and what was your road to to get to V Mertz? Ooh, a long one, um, <laughs> but well worth it. Uh, I would say I always kind of had a passion for this. My family owned a restaurant growing up, and I've just always been fascinated with the kitchen, spent a lot of time cooking with my grandparents, things of that nature, so it was almost a natural transition. Um, culinary school definitely was a big part of uh me going to the places that I went to, it allowed me to meet a lot of people and make the connections I needed to kind of advance uh, through those channels. And it happened really fast, it feels like. So, uh, yeah, started at Avali, what was supposed to be an internship, ended up taking a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was a good first entry into what was more than I had already learned from working with my family and the fundamentals from culinary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how long have you guys been working together at V Mertz? Uh, at V Mertz, we've maybe three. Almost four. Four, yeah, three and a half mm-hmm. years. So basically years. since you came back, Jake. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, what, what, so I tried, she was actually, when I came back, she was at the restaurant. Mertz has this kind of tendency to, you might come for like your first residency and then you'll kind of grow out of it. And then it kind of is just like the Midwest and it kind of just like pulls you back in. Uh-huh. Um, I had a, I'm in my second tour. Amanda came back. And so she was actually there like when I first came back and then went on and did some really cool things with AJ Swanda, you know, and, uh, and then what, six months, year, eight months, I don't know, sometime after year, that, yeah. yeah, then she came back as, uh, or back to V-Rents, which was great. Good That's to awesome. stay away. Now look at us. <laughs> Two peas in a pod. Still going, still going. So just kind of, to kind of break it down for people and kind of understand kind of the hierarchy in the kitchen and how things work, what is the relationship between the executive chef and the sous chef like? Uh, there's probably multiple definitions to that, you know, but mm-hmm. obviously like it's, we know V Mertz and we've kind of con- like constantly evolved that relationship. I think, um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's hand in hand. I don't know if it's like any like hierarchy is like I'm here and she's there. Although like that's maybe traditionally how it is, mm-hmm. but like if anybody, if any executive chef says that like it's their food more than it's the sous chefs it's just that's just asinine it's backwards <laughs> like she cooks way more than I cook you know and like she's kind of hands-on executing every day to where like uh I'm growing into things that I haven't done before like you know um office work administration building a culture making sure that employees are like working hard and achieving their goals and so with her executing the majority of the food production and kind of ev- uh, you know evolving the food I can do those other things so mm-hmm. we're we work Every day together. We talk all the time. Yeah, it offers a little bit more chance for uh, mentorship with the rest of the staff, too, Mm -hmm. which is something that's been very valuable. 
Mm-hmm. In what way? Um, as far as just being able to guide them and help them develop their own dishes and hopefully find their way onto the menu and learn skills that maybe, I mean, when I was at that stage in my career, I don't think I had a lot of opportunity for. Um, so I think that'll put us out ahead of, in the long run for sure. Mm-hmm. Like we talked the last time we talked to you and I did, it was, you know, I mentioned people like Natalie and Colin and, you know, Maddie and all of these people that are like evolving dishes and working hard in R and D and things. And I don't often mention myself or Amanda because we just try to like empower others, you know, and we'll, we're there side by side, but it's, it's awesome to have someone like Amanda who I know I can trust. She's going to produce excellence, you know, in as far as like culinary things go and we can just kind of, run the rails for people to, to drive the train on. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. And I love that you just use that word trust because that's something that I wanted to hit on next is that when people go to V Mertz, your name is on the menu and they're, they're thinking Jake Newton is right or wrong. Jake Newton is the guy who made yeah. this plate. He put it in front of me. This is his food. And that's, the, you know, that is sometimes the case, but that's not always the case. Like you have to be able to, have a vision, but then you have to trust other people to execute it. And a lot of times Amanda is the one who's leading that team of people executing it. So how do you build up that trust to the point where you can hand that off to someone, something basically your reputation and say, I trust you to deliver something to the diner that I would be proud to put out myself. Mm. Yeah. So I think trust, I think delegation, I think all of those things are Um, attributes that I've grown into understanding is important for a leader to have, especially in a kitchen. Things that maybe I, uh, or like this industry doesn't really like train you to have, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, You're not necessarily as like an 18 year old out of culinary school set to say, hey, you're going to trust this person, you know, like right away, or I trust you right away, you know? You kind of have to like sweat and tears, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But at Mertz, it's more like... um, well, we're a small restaurant that helps, you know, we can see all of the mise en place. We can talk, you know, we talk about food that sounds like ridiculous, but that actually doesn't happen maybe as much as it should. And so through communication um, with employees, with our friends, with our coworkers, um, we just gain trust. We consistency, I think is the biggest thing we have to present ourselves, ourselves being like Amanda and I every day that we're going to expect a lot of each other. Um, and that kind of just builds that ladder step of culture like they're expecting a lot of each other they're pushing each other every day and then that expectation is kind of filtered throughout the whole kitchen you Mm -hmm. know um and then a lot of trust for me is like watching people kind of grow into their own voice like if someone can say hey i think this could be better to me or amanda uh, I think that's pretty powerful. You know, if somebody can have the confidence in what they're doing and maybe I disagree and Amanda disagrees and we tell them, no, that's okay. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't, that's not the end of the world, mm-hmm. but that's how I think we grow confidence in our kitchen is, you know, we're empowering people to use their voice, to make it better, to challenge what is the norm, even if it hasn't or doesn't need to be fixed. Who knows until you try, you know? And Amanda, you can probably speak to that. Like personally, how important is it to be given that voice where you're not just, you know, Jake isn't just coming in and just delivering, um, you know, d- demanding laws. You know, he, he's giving you a voice and he's saying, I want you guys to come to me. I want to hear your ideas. How important is that? I think that uh, that's kind of invaluable, like really keeps you empowered as an employee and it, it makes you more invested in what you're doing. There's a little bit more heart and soul in it when you feel like what is the final result on the plate reflects who you are as a person and the decisions that you made and how that impacts that. Uh, I think that that's 
something that keeps you wanting to come back for more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we've tried to take that outside of the realms of even food too at the restaurant, which is kind of that next evolution. You know, if you if you're going to evolve a plate of food to the utmost extent, then you kind of have to take it within the four walls one one step further and saying that like, um, you know, we want to empower people to talk to us about anything that they're comfortable about, you know, like giving the employee power, I think is something that is underutilized or at least giving the employee the sense that they can say, Hey, I don't like that. Or, Hey, I'm tired. Or, Hey, I want like something as simple as, Hey, I want this day off to go to a concert. Mm-hmm. Maybe not now. Like, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the, like the power of the employee is something that we really are trying to define a lot, you know, and how, what that means as an employee and not as a manager, but like using our past experiences to define who we are as leaders at Mertz, you know, and I think that this industry as a whole doesn't necessarily empower their employees. You know, it is that like, we talked a little bit about that too. It's a little bit about that, like misfit, put your head down, stay out of the way. Yes, chef, let's move on to the next thing. And there are times and place for all of that. Um, But there's also, this like human aspect of an industry that is very like hardcore and intense, you know, and we're trying to kind of um, transition into a more, I don't know, tender, loving care, grandma's kitchen type of uh, type of environment, you know, where if you, I just think that employees should be able to say, Hey, I want a day off and not have to feel guilty that like a, the chef or their manager is going to be like, no, we're short staffed and this, that, and the other, like, how could you leave your teammates hanging or your grill cook like this? Now they're going to have to cover well, because at the end of the day, that guy shouldn't really bitch about it either because he's getting more hours and he's an hourly employee. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, talk about the positives and not the negatives. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, I think that kind of plays into – I think this was maybe my most interesting takeaway from our first conversation was you kind of talked about how when you came back to Omaha, you wanted to be the best chef in Omaha. You wanted to win James Beard Awards. You wanted to just be a badass. And you talked about how there was a progression to the point where, yes, you still want to be a great chef, but that transition to, I want to make V Mertz the best restaurant possible. And Amanda, I wanted to get your perspective. How did you kind of see over the last four years that shift in Jake where it was less about Jake Newton, the chef, and more about V Mertz, the restaurant? I think you see that in little ways every day that maybe if you're not being keen on, you might not have the sense of appreciation for it, or if you've never experienced other kitchens where maybe someone didn't share those same values you wouldn't you wouldn't know it was there but Mm -hmm. I think that comes like I said from just giving employees a voice in general and then also um, realizing that there is life outside of the kitchen and if we support people in those endeavors they're going to show up a lot happier and healthier (laughs) and ready to work and and do it every day versus you know you you burn someone out and maybe you don't get the best out of them the next day and the day after, or, you know, you build hard feelings. And I think it's more beneficial to uh, support people in what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, go from there, see what, see what you can get. I couldn't agree more. I think we're trying to do it for ourselves too. Right. Just like we lead for, you know, by example in the kitchen, as far as like, we want our chives to get better just like everyone else's. And we want our like Brunois to be better looking than the last time that we did it. I think that we're as like Amanda and I, not to speak for you, but like we're trying to value our lives outside of work more than mm-hmm. ever, you know, and, and, and that's something that I'm just now at 31 trying to figure out, you know, it's not too late. It's actually, this is the best time of my life is just trying to define what happiness is outside of that. And, you know, once we have kind of prioritized that 
for ourselves, we can then, you know, start to create the culture that gives that to others, which has been cool. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's something we've put a bigger emphasis on specifically after having been shut down for several months. We kind of had that chance to take a step back and reevaluate what was important to us and why we're doing what we do. What were the things that we really, truly missed when it was all taken away? And how could we highlight that and make it a part of what we do from here on out? And so I feel like that's been a good step in the right direction. I, I find that fascinating because my, my guest last week, uh, Matt Moser from mm-hmm. Sternella, he said something very similar in that he, he's a father of two. Yep. And he said he really had a struggle with work-life balance before COVID. And this has kind of helped him to redefine what his life looks like and, and discover you know what's really important, how to find that balance in the kitchen. Can you guys maybe just... You know, when when you came back to Mertz, you know, once things were able to start, like, opening up again, was there just, did you have to talk about, like, that, that new, like, that new sense and that new reality? Or did everyone just kind of feel it collectively? What was that like? Um, I, I think we're still trying to figure it out. You yeah. Know? Uh, I think that's what, what I've taken for sure. The world that is 2020 is we're kind of always... Every 48 hours, every 24 hours, every two hours, redefining we're just reality. redefining reality. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that, I think we both still work a lot. Like, we're still there 50, 60, 70 hours a week. We're, yeah. You know, the hours of, uh, of the kitchen life, I think, are still there for us. But just kind of defining, like, what's important from to get out of the day, I think we did had to, we, we kind of had to, like, define a little bit you know like what we want to see from ourselves in and outside of work what we want to see from the program um you know what what is the culinary industry you know ask you ask yourself that big question you, you're not going to sleep well for a few nights you know <laughs> mm-hmm. it's you know when you do put in as much as you know her and i do and so many others around you know everywhere does um and then all of a sudden you wake up on that day and it's just signed away that you no longer your work is no longer deemed important although it is like a health and safety issue i know but like that's how i took it mm-hmm. is um i literally have only thought about how to cook food and get better every day for the customers at the table forever and then i woke up and in the middle of march it was like nah like not anymore yeah, man mm-hmm. she, yeah you're coming out buddy you know um, and so to define what that meant and what that feels like and what the restaurant is as far as like a place in the city and how it's going to look in the future, all of these things we've talked about to kind of mm-hmm. come to where we're at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I, this is something that I'm super excited to get, to get into something that you guys want to talk about. And I, I want to peel back the curtain for people a little bit in that when I invite guests to come on this show, usually, you know, th- there's little I'll say, hey, do you want to come on the show? And they say yes or no. Then there's a little back and forth about like, okay, well, you know, we could maybe do it on this day and let's find a time. When I messaged Jake about coming on this show, he immediately not only said yes, but gave me like five or six topics. He's like, we could talk about this. We could talk about this. And I was just like, this is amazing. This is already one of my favorite guests and I haven't even like spoken to him. So we're going to get to a couple of those topics today because – I, I talked too much last time and didn't really allow us to get into that. <laughs> okay, I but talked about a moose for about 20 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that macadamia yeah, nut I mean, moose is right. worth talking about. <laughs> uh, so, But you had a couple topics that you kind of wanted to bring to the table, so I'm just going to throw one of them out there, kind of let you introduce it, and that's the power of the employee and the power of the guest. What is it about that topic that interests you, and, and what did you want to discuss today? 
Yeah, uh, it's a deep topic. I think we've just kind of flirted with the idea of the, you know, empowering the employee or the power of the employee mm-hmm. with what we just talked about as far as how it pertains to VMERTs, you know, um, and we're very much focused on that, I would say. But a lot of these things, I think, could be taken into any, you know, any restaurant for sure. Um, so we'll start with the employee. I think that, like we just talked about, I, I think that as looking back on my experience as an employee in a kitchen and being raised like this is my only job started it when I was 15 just like Amanda like this is what we've done we were never given the opportunity or that's not true because I probably missed it if I was but I was never I never felt comfortable in the environment that I was in a kitchen that I could say hey I think this mm-hmm. until I was very much like later on in my career. That's maybe a personality type that might be like me specific, but I've seen that over and over in other kitchens that I've now managed where I am telling people, Hey, you as an employee are valuable. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. We want to see you get better. But as a manager and as a, uh, you know, of a kitchen or anything really, I'm not a mind reader. You know, we're going to do our best to give you, again, those tracks to run between or run on. Um, but those tracks can only be widened or lengthened with your input and feedback. And, and we really do value that. And I think that uh, restaurants get better faster the more input and feedback that they get. So if the employee, the person who's there all the time, can do that and can input that, then then we as a group and a collective are just evolving and improving that much faster. Um, and it could be as critical as this amount of chive in a tartare uh, because, hey, Mikey makes more tartars than all of us combined, so he knows how what it's tasting like. He's got to tell me that because I can't taste every one of them. Mm-hmm. But we have to empower people to be able to say that loudly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, like we mentioned, I also want to be a place that's, hey, I'm not feeling well. Maybe I'm not feeling well now means a lot different than what it does, but be comfortable enough to say, I need a day off. Or, or I, you know, staff it in a way that, like, uh, employees, full-time employees only are working four days a week because it is intense. It is fast-paced. It is a lot that we ask of you every day. But we give you that extra day to, God forbid, find another hobby outside of the kitchen, you know? <laughs> Go on a walk. Or n- don't leave your house at all. Whatever makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's my take on the empowered employee at Merritt's. Amanda, you've been in this environment for four years now, so maybe you're a little bit used to it now, but when when you first started working at Mertz and and this kind of concept of, you know, a more back and forth between the executive chef and his employees was kind of established, was that kind of a shock for you or did it take some time to adjust to that? Like, what was that like? I think it wasn't a shock to me just because I've known Jake for years and we kind of already had that sort of banter, that back and forth. So we were really able to build onto that. But seeing it applied on a day-to-day basis was something that I think, maybe not for me, but for others could be a bit more shocking. Uh, Like when you do ask them to have a voice, well, what do you think? There is a little bit of a pause, a Mm -hmm. hesitation, like, is this a trap? Am I going (laughs) to be in trouble if I, you know, speak my mind? Um, But ultimately, I do think it was uh, something that was embraced by people. I think we're lucky with the bunch that we have that we can kind of have that level of accountability and it's never taken personally, you know, there's a separation between what is work and what is, you know, our investment in each other as individuals. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's something people have to adjust to coming into for the first time. For me, uh, it felt very natural. 
mm-hmm. it felt like a, like a coming of age sort of thing. Like, okay, we're here and we can do this now. So let's put the rest behind us and, and carry on. Mm-hmm. And like forcing people to be uncomfortable, I mm-hmm. think is important because we are, we're not trying to make the best uh, line cook that we can make. Like any, you can go anywhere and do that, you know, but what we're trying to make like good leaders, good future chefs, we're trying to give people voice so they can stand in front of people and speak loudly and confidently. And I don't think that you can do that or it's much more difficult in my experience to to do that and transition from very quiet listening, always aware to now I'm supposed to speak and you know dictate all the time. But we're trying to get that a little bit earlier in the process where we're empowering you to speak up, we're inspiring like empowering you to be louder, uh, be honest, and then you know deal with the repercussions, which are more times than not always positive. You know mm-hmm. exactly, and, and deal with the negatives because those are going to come. They come in my life and my job and. Amanda's job and her life and so we're just trying to make people a little bit uncomfortable with the aspect of their future and voice inside of the kitchen than they maybe have had in other jobs. Mm -hmm. Something and I think this plays into that a little bit when you talk about making people uncomfortable I think you you help them develop more quickly and you know you're not just keeping them at their same station on the line for years and years you're you're helping them develop and give them a voice at the same time that kind of accelerates how fast they grow and how fast they might look, you know, for a promotion that might not be like they're that position is filled at VMERT, so they might leave for another kitchen. Like, yeah, I hope so. I, but but <laughs> kind, see, like, kind of, you know? that's that's kind of the tough balance with a kitchen because in in most jobs, you know, there is a promotion somewhere yes. where a person can move up, but in the kitchen, there are a certain you know amount of roles. So like. I know, obviously, you want to help everyone develop as much as possible, but is there kind of like that yin and yang of like, I love this person as a cook. I do not want to lose them, but I want to develop them, and I want to help them, and I want to see them be successful. What is that balance like? I think that's something that's maybe changed the most since me coming back to Mertz is there is always this kind of uh, upwards growth, and then there is a stopping point versus now. I think we've spent a lot of time, especially the last few months since we've been back, uh, like cross training people, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like a tier system. Everything's kind of on an equal plane, and we've tried to hone people in on the skills, no matter the station. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're a little bit more versatile, and that, that feeds back into us, allowing people to say, "Yeah, you can have that day off because there's three other people that can work the station efficiently now." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a really, really exciting thing to watch, both for the employee and the skills that they're learning, and then also to see it pan out uh, from a management perspective to know that your bases are always covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And from my perspective, I'm quick to say I hope people leave. Um, but I'm also like a total softy. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. way emotional. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it's that's never easy. That's the hardest part, you know. But we are not, or, or at least we're trying not to be um, selfish in that regard. You know, we want people to get everything that they can out of Amanda, everything that they can out of Matt Brown, everything that they can out of themselves and and out of Vmerts. And then if Vmerts th- comes a time where they can't get anything more than that, we just you know, push them again to leave for something better, you know, leave for a place that cares for you more than we do, because that exists, or I hope that it does. And I hope that people are working hard to, to create that leave for a place that cares more about you leave for a place that's going to teach you more. Um, because I do think that those, those places exist, leave for a job that lets you, you know, use that voice that we're trying to install in you. And, and yeah, that, that does suck because it just sucks. I mean, you have to train another employee. You have to like develop new relationships. Exactly. Um, but that's that's the part of it that I that I think I really like to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's get into the power of the guest. Yeah. What what excites you about talking about the power of the guest? Yeah, this ex- I mean, I'm excited to talk to you about the power of the guest. Okay, let's you go. Because you might be the, the most powerful guest out there. Um, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, you have the most opportunity. You fair know? enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think the power of the guest is a tricky, slippery slope, um, A, because you want to be, and this kind of falls into like redefining what we, you know, what people and what we talk about at Merit's is like that new fine dining, right? The power mm-hmm. of the guest is very much involved in that. Um, but long story short, we want guests to be able to come in and, or maybe even before they're in, during the reservation process, we want to know as much about the guests and, and their experience and their past and their history. We want to have conversations with people. Um, we want to create and customize experiences at Bemerts. Um, we want to know details. We want to know why and how, just like we want to know why and how with cooking, you know. Um, but from a guest perspective, it's super guilty. People are not so much apt to give details, you know. Maybe you don't like mushrooms, but you're like, well, we're going to Mertz. It's a, you know, it's a fancy place. There's white tablecloths. We'll just deal with it, you know. Right. I can't tell them what to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, because that's, you know, that's kind of like the culture that too. It's like, we're like, sit back and let the chef kind of do their thing, you know, uh, let the kitchen run it. And yeah, there's a time and a place for that. But like, if you don't, if you really don't like mushrooms and you're like worried about it, well then tell us you don't like mushrooms because you're powerful and we listen to you, you know, and we want you to have the best experience that you can. And if anybody, if you go into a restaurant and they say, um, you know, well, you know, there's no substitutions if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. And we say no a lot, mm-hmm. um, not a lot, but as you know, as we do say no, like I think you just want to be at a place or I want to dine at a place that really values what I have to say as a, as a guest. I want somewhere that, wants to know if it's my anniversary or wants to know if my husband's favorite dessert is chocolate and not fruit based, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think those things matter. And so I think that from a guest perspective, just knowing that good restaurants should value what you say, uh, do listen to what you think, um, and get better from your feedback, whether they really are able to or do act on it in the moment. I think the more knowledge that we have, the more information that we can occur during our dining experience makes restaurants better. I agree with everything that you just said, and I like it all. I do want to present a little bit of a counterpoint from the diner perspective. And I, I might be unique in this and that I just love food so much and I'm a very adventurous eater. I'm not picky at all. So maybe that puts me at a very small demographic. But for me, I found that most of my favorite restaurants are places where I can do a tasting menu or do an omakase or something like that where I'm not actually ordering anything, mm. but I am putting myself in the hands of the chef. And I'm saying, you know what? You know more about food than I do. Mm-hmm. I trust you to make something awesome. So, like, I want to use an example from when I came in and did the tasting menu with you guys. We talked about the cottage cheese. I would normally never order anything with cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. There was a course with a chicken liver mousse. I would never normally order that. There was one of the dessert courses was cheesecake. I know a lot of people like cheesecake. I personally do not normally like cheesecake. This was a sweet menu cheesecake that was delicious, and I loved it. I loved all these courses. These were things that I would not normally order, but you kind of introduced them in a way that made me like them. You kind of changed my definition of delicious. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's – 
there there is yes there has to be that willingness from the restaurant to come to the customer and say okay we respect what you like and we want to cater the best experience to you but i think there has to be that give from the diner as well to say okay as long as i don't have like a dietary restriction or an allergy or something i should be able to trust these people who have been in this industry they are the best of the best the professionals i should trust them that they're going to give me awesome food yeah, you're right. That's that should be in my my favorite. That's ideal. We yeah, love to my, see that. My favorite dining experiences are just as you mentioned too. I love omakase's. I love tasty menus. I love to be able to sit back and, and take it in. Mm-hmm. I uh, and maybe speaking on a more broader scale to what than like your experience is that like to break down barriers of a fine dining restaurant that's been open for 40 years where it's like, no, we, we are here for you. You know, we want to cook food that makes you happy. It can be a tasty menu. It can be, you know, if you want to come in and spend, uh, my month's worth of paychecks at Mertz, then like, yeah, we can do that for you. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, that's probably what we do best, you know, but if you also want to come in and Hey, I want to spend $30 a person and snack on some small plates and grow into this experience as an entry level restaurant, we can be flexible, like flexible and customizable in that experience. You know, we're not asking you to come in step one and dive into the deep end as far as price point goes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we kind of come to the guest more than people expect us to. Um, We are, we just want to know what's available for you. And more times than not, we can say yes. Um, and we seldomly say no, mm-hmm. you know, um, there, are, I just think that's like easy for restaurants to do. And, mm-hmm. and I just want to be a yes restaurants. I want to say yes. I want to make people happy within the spectrum of what the, that means to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think we just found a new tagline for V Mertz. V Mertz, the yes restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's uh like I said, it's a slippery slope because yeah. you will you will hear no's. Like if you go into uh, Accra on Friday and you're like, "Hey, my man, I don't like mushrooms. I'm not eating chicken today. Today I'm dairy free. Mm-hmm. Um, but except I will I will eat ice cream, and I'm okay with that Oreo thing because I like Oreos. Yeah. Well, then they're gonna be like, no. <laughs> probably not we're not changing the entire menu <laughs> yeah. just for yeah. you man exactly but if you call you know a call ahead give some notice um just be real with the people on the yeah. phone we can and make a lot of stuff happen in a yeah. little bit of time yeah it's fun to do that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i don't know but you're special because you get to sit down you're just uh, uh, you seem to enjoy everything from what i see you know i do through the, the I just scope of instagram food. yeah yes yeah and i and i i love like the ability, and this is going strictly to like tasting menus and stuff, but I love the ability to try a bunch of different things. You know, you're not just getting one plate and like as good as that flavor might be, you're not getting the same flavor, the same texture over and over. Mm-hmm. You're getting all these different things. Ah, so that's, yeah. that's no, kind of sure. far right. afield. And we're intentionally building on each dish. Yeah. That. Like there's a thought process there versus you can eat all the stuff on the menu in any pattern you'd like, but it's it's not always going to jive together the way that the tasting menu. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Vimerth offers both of those things, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, we do offer that kind of elaborate, very detailed, kind of storytelling focused tasting menu. But also, like I said, if you want to come in and snack around with some small plates and glass of wine and get the hell out of here for thirty five bucks, then you know, I think we do that really well too. I will never forget one of the first like big guests that I had on this show was Jess and Paul Urban from Block Sixteen, and I was talking to them. 
uh, about oh yeah, yeah. Uh, about their favorite restaurants in Omaha, and they're like, we love V Mertz, and they're like, yeah, you know, we'll love to go out for a date night or whatever, but we also love to just go in and just sit at the bar and right. wear jeans and a, a Yankee sweatshirt and just like have dinner and it's like not a big deal it's not all fancy we're not there for three hours like you can have that experience but you can also kind of customize it to be your own where you can each have an entree you can share an entree and have three small plates you can have a bunch of appetizers you can have dessert like you can do whatever you want and I think that that's kind of a it's kind of a unique thing at V-Mart's from what I've seen at least. For sure. I think it's what a lot of it is what we learned too when we didn't have anything. You know, when mm-hmm. you when the restaurants closed, it's and like we touched on a little bit last time was I I for sure it's I think it's way more streamlined. It's not necessarily easier, but it's easier to streamline um ordering uh, labor, all of the things, you know, the the high cost goods in a restaurant if you have one menu and you only offer one thing you know, as far as course one goes or course mm-hmm. two goes, you know, maybe you do a meat focused and a, and a veggie focused. That's cool too. But I think that now more than ever, I don't expect or care that someone's coming in and saying, I trust you to cook. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to eat what your menu is. Like, I just, I want that. We offer that. I think that's, we, we excel at that, especially when it comes to pairing wine. But I am now very much in, enthralled with making the guest happy mm-hmm. and by any means necessary opening up the umbrella wide and just accepting guests into the restaurant because we didn't have that and it was crazy that's crazy so to be able to have both to be able to be flexible to listen to guests and to listen to employees has given us an, an uh, you know a really cool perspective on on the menu mm-hmm. or menus it's also been fun to adapt, uh, being able to take that experience uh, to people's homes for themselves. Mm. Uh, we've done a lot of like to-go tasting menus and things of that nature. People are wanting to like put those things together for themselves. And then I think that again adds value in the long run. They will want to come back and have us do it because now they've seen the amount of touches and the work that goes into it. And uh, they gain maybe a new sense of appreciation for it. Or they get to have fun and, and mess around with it for themselves, which mm-hmm. is also great. Yeah, mm-hmm. what, what's yeah. 40 to-go boxes look like you know, yeah. in, in a couple yeah. of bags? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we did a four-top tasting um, to-go the other day. And it was, I think, 30, 33, 34 to-go yeah. bo- different to-go boxes. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, just to be flexible, you know, um, just to say yes more often and mm-hmm. uh, listen to what people have to say. I think – that kind of plays into that maturation that we were talking about earlier in that when you are the ego-driven chef, you're you're the one who says, no, this is my tasting menu. You will trust me to deliver you the best food versus, you know, being more restaurant-focused and saying, this is V Mertz. V Mertz can be what you want it to be. It mm-hmm. can be the yes restaurant for you. Do you kind of see the parallel between those two things? Yeah, and I... I have had the best dining experiences of my life with that have been run by those types of men and women. As far as like I sign up for their menu, I am I literally know about their restaurant because I know who they are. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand why that concept works, and I and I and I fucking love it. I really like it a lot. I do know? too. Um, and it's really cool. I just think that there's you know in order to have that, you can have both a. Eh? Um, but also to widen the spectrum and give people more experiences um, in a market that doesn't necessarily have these, you know, places quite yet. I think that we're that's the next building block is to kind of just allow people to have experiences with tasty food 
very detailed just because it's not a single menu course one through five doesn't mean that the small plate um, doesn't have any less touches that our tasty menu does you know Mm -hmm. Um, it's all the same it's just maybe a slightly larger portion or not part of a cohesive story and so um, just to be able to get people in it's been cool Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that kind of transitions really nicely into the second topic that you wanted to talk about and that is the new fine dining Amanda, when when I just say that phrase, what does that mean to you, or what does that spring to mind? I think uh, off firsthand, I'd say that there's like a stripping down of pretension. A you wouldn't understand, so let us do it for you. It's more of a a telling of a story, something that resonates with us that we hope you understand too, like a building on people's memory and wanting to uh, intertwine what we're doing and why it's special to us with things that they like and what's important to them, and then reflecting that at the table. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that goes into kind of building the experience, like he said, being adaptable to people's needs. Mm -hmm. How how, how do you market V-Merts to people who see fine dining as pretentious? Like, how, how do you get that message of this is new fine dining out there? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear fine dining, when they hear tasting menus, when they hear wine pairings, they're thinking, okay, this is going to cost me a couple hundred dollars. This is white tablecloths. I'm going to have to put on a suit. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there for hours. But as we've just talked about, that can be your experience at Mertz, but it very much does not have to be. So how do you kind of get that message out there to people to get them in for the first time and be like, look, if you want to do the whole shebang, great Mm -hmm. we're here for you Mm -hmm. if you just want to have a steak Mm -hmm. or a plate of pasta we're here for you too how do you get that message out there um i think that we want to be fine dining that's what the restaurant was built on that's the foundation of the experience there i think that the word fine dining doesn't necessarily mean or can have multiple definitions and i think new fine dining um is just another definition you know And, and so i think that it's a conversation that I just tell people it's like, well, we just cook food that sounds good Mm -hmm. um, and whatever that ends up. And then we refine it to be the best that we can see it being through our lens, you know? And so whether that be sometimes a simple steak that we have literally done nothing to as far as salt, pepper, and a little bit of cast iron, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But we can tell a story about where that beef is from. And you know, the guy who owns the company just delivered it to us and that can be fine dining that detail-oriented service, like that very knowledgeable, like product-driven, well-executed. You can't do that if the steak is cooked like shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to have a high expectation um, of yourself, of the product, and then, you know, the the guest's expectation is obviously high too. Um, So I think I just tell people that if you want a detail-oriented, service-oriented, kind, thoughtful experience, if you call that fine dining, then we're absolutely that. If you call that a charcuterie board and a glass of wine and you want that in that experience too, then we're absolutely that, you know? Um, we're just that type of restaurant. And I think that encompasses old school fine dining, new school fine dining. I just think that's fine dining or what, what I think of it as. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. I think something that, as I was thinking about this topic and kind of really trying to dive into it a little bit coming into this, the thing that I kept coming back to, I kept asking myself, like, what makes an experience at a place like V Mertz, this new fine dining, different than the other 40 restaurants in Omaha where I can get a steak? Yeah. If I go into V Mertz for an eight ounce s- strip steak, what is going to make that steak 
better than at every other restaurant? Or what's going to make that experience different? A, there's, I mean, the quality. I think that kind of goes without saying. You guys have the the, the Morgan Ranch um, beef. It's absolutely fantastic. But I think the guest experience is so much of it. And we kind of talked about it last time, Jake, where you guys down in the passageway. It's kind of a transportive location. Um, Just the, the customer service from... The, the just the overall knowledge of the servers that they can tell yeah. you that Morgan Ranch story. They can tell you, hey, you know, I'm willing to give you whatever wine you want, but I know this wine pairs super well with that. You, you know, I, I can give you a couple different options. Yep. That's the thing that I kept coming back to in that maybe what really defines this new fine dining is it isn't necessarily the white tablecloth. It's not necessarily paying hundreds of dollars for a meal, but it is delivering that individualized just perfect guest experience along with it because the food is part of it mm-hmm. it's not just the food itself like mm-hmm. you're not just throwing a steak in front of somebody and saying there you go honey enjoy it you're you're really giving them everything that they want i totally i completely yeah, agree well put. i think when asked you know like what separates vmerts from other restaurants i my easy answer guaranteed most confident answer I could tell you is the service. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's um, a big part of why we can be so flexible in the kitchen, you know, why all of these things are even possible because we do have people out there, um, you know, that are professionals. They take it seriously. They're getting better every day. They've been there for, you know, some people have been there for 20 something years. Others have been in the industry for more than that, but all around restaurants that you would know and a lot of very wine focused sommeliers on the program. And I think that how they carry themselves, explain the work that we do um, without pretension, as Amanda said, is the key to our success as Mm -hmm. far as defining that, that, that fine dining term. Mm -hmm. Just to build upon that, I found this stat that I think plays really well into this. Uh, 63% of consumers would rather spend money on an experience than an individual item. Uh, Amanda, when you hear that, like you're smiling and nodding. What, what, what does that say to you? I, I love that because that's kind of how my brain works too. I would rather like, like when I buy gifts for people, that's how my brain works too. Like I don't want to buy you something that's going to crowd your, your spaces in your home. Like I want to give you something that you're going to remember something that you can hold on to forever, you know, without it needing to take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Memor- difference memories are important. The yeah. difference between getting someone like a personalized gift and a gift card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it shows you listened. Uh-huh. You know? right. uh, it shows that you're aware that you care, like all of those little things, things that we do when making a reservation, you know, Oh, like you had mentioned that you're in from St. Louis. Well, that's a note. We take that note. Right. And then we, we, we can tell, you know, the server, hey, these people are visiting from St. Louis. Oh, you had mentioned that it's your anniversary and you think it's 14. It might be 15, but, you know, this, that, and the other. Like we, we, we can just take, we can listen to all of those notes and all of those things that you say and then really formulate a, a really personalized gift or experience at the table. Yeah. So how do you go about creating, like, a kitchen that that's – that's is that malleable when you are delivering individualized guest experiences potentially you know to every table might be a little bit different how do you create a kitchen that is set up to create those different experiences a lot of that is the employees that we have um you know they are patient flexible, understanding, thoughtful, kind humans Mm -hmm. that want to do that for other people. 
you're they're not like assholes like hardened <laughs> you know people yeah. they're very kind folks uh-huh. um so because you can't teach that i don't like it's very hard to teach that i think you have to be willing you you have to really prefer to give a personalized gift rather than a gift card i think that's like the type of people that we hire yeah. um and if they're not like that this is far more difficult because then it's a fight every time that you ask john to fire another bread because i'm brainstorming some off menu thing that this guy wants you know uh-huh. he doesn't even know what's going on he just knows that in the middle of a saturday this guy wants more bread but he's like the person be like yeah no problem you know because it's really not it's, it's in by the time you finish saying it yeah exactly he's already going you know and so i think the short answer is the people that we have cooking at the restaurants thinking about each other thinking about others makes it makes it pretty easy right and because we've done the groundwork to make them excited about what they're doing Mm. they might even be the ones to chime in and be like i got just the thing for this person Mm -hmm. because they're already thinking about it we've done that pre-planning for sure yeah well it sounds like there's some fun in that too like that that kind of allows you to unleash that creativity where somebody comes in and orders a dish that you've made x number of times but they say hey I, i don't want i don't want that macadamia nut mousse in it well, yeah. if you take that out, it's a completely different dish. Mm-hmm. So you have to replace that with something else. So that kind of, you know, forces you to think on your feet. And it's like, it's a, it's a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, I mean, I think that people, like from a guest perspective, people are challenged by coming into the restaurant. Like it's a challenge to sit down and maybe there are words that you're uncomfortable with or don't know, or it's another language for God's sake, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that they're challenged there and then, that, if done well, can be exciting from a guest's perspective. Like, oh, I learned like what this was, but you know, or this wine meant, or what this was, you know, talked about. Just like those challenges thrown our way are are pretty fun too, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, as long as we're organized and can have a conversation, and yeah, you know, we, mm-hmm. we do those things all right. Awesome. Now we got about ten minutes left here, and there's a topic that I really want to pick you guys' brains on. And this this is something that you brought up last time, Jake. So I'm not straying from nice. from the from the preferred topics. And that's suggestions. I, yes, suggestions. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's kind of a clear delineation between people who think that to work in a kitchen and to be a chef you need to go to culinary school. There's stuff there that you learn that you cannot just learn online. And then there are other people like I just read David Chang's book and one of his 33 rules for becoming a chef. Number Mm -hmm. two is don't go to cooking school. Just get a job, learn on the line, rise up the ranks. That's the way to do it. Both you guys went to culinary school. So you kind of have that perspective. So I'm just going to throw the hypothetical at you. I am not going into the restaurant industry. But if today I came to you guys and said, I want to become a chef, I want to go into the restaurant industry, what would you suggest that I do? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a wrong or right way. I don't think you have to have gone to culinary school or that if you if you didn't, you're at a disadvantage and vice versa. But I think you learn the fundamentals there or you learn them on your own you have to be very self-motivated you have Mm -hmm. to be driven and you have to be able to seek out a wide range of information and then you also have to be able to apply that and what situation you apply that in whether it's at school or at work you're going to learn and get different results Uh, it's a lot more on your shoulders than maybe people with the knowledge with the know-how driving you in the right direction you might spend a lot of time whittling down through those things to find what works Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah I agree I think that um, if you 
like culinary school will teach you like the foundation. It'll mm-hmm. give you more opportunity. Like if if let's say I didn't go to culinary school and then I didn't see like these type of people or meet these type of people that were working in this type of industry that was maybe different than my trajectory, then maybe I would have ended up in, you know, uh, country clubs or mm-hmm. hotel management or and, and that's just like different, you know, because I feel like if you're by yourself, um, by yourself, but if you if you go without the culinary school training, then uh, and let's say your first job is washing dishes for a, a Marriott, right? And then there is this incredible room for growth within that. You're going to learn a lot. For sure, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn all of the basics probably as far as knife cuts go, you know, for, but specifically the basics that are necessary for that type of work, you know, and, and you're going to move up probably to make a hell of a career if you stay with it, you know? Um, but I think that it limits what you know because you've only learned it in that kind of one setting. Right, one where culinary school, lots of different teachers, lots of different people. Um, you have a more likelihood, I think, of coming out with a little bit more experience, even if it's just through conversation, um, than, than not, you know? Uh, not to say that I would do, go back again because I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back again to culinary, to culinary school costing what it costs because I just – it's just a lot of money for coming out and making, you know, eleven fifty, eleven dollars in Denver. Like he just, that's just not realistic, you know? Um, but I think what we're very lucky to have Metro in this market it's and definitely. that really helps a lot. And you it's know? very accessible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that, you know, the only thing with culinary school is that you just have to come out and understand that like, even though you do learn more things in culinary school, you still are going to go into a market or a niche that is like very specific. Like if you think you know how to make bechamel, uh, you do, but you don't know how to make it like Amanda makes it. And Mm -hmm. here at Mertz, we make it like Amanda makes it. And that's like the only thing that matters to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to be flexible, I think is, is very important with any of those trajectories is you have to understand that, each kitchen that you're in is basically you're going to start over, you know, yep. but, uh, so it just depends on the person. Honestly, it's a really tough question. You mm-hmm. know, you could, we could kind of round about it all day long probably, but. Well, that's the thing. I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer. I think, you know, for some people, yes. If, like you said, Amanda, if you're really self-motivated, yeah, maybe it is better for you to just jump into the kitchen. Or if you don't have the economic means mm-hmm. to go to culinary school and you don't have access to a program like Metro, you might just have to, you know, just start. And I think a lot of people yeah. probably just get kitchen jobs just because they need a job. That's what I am. Right. And then it Guilty. becomes it becomes a career. Yeah, you did talk about that last time, Jake. Yeah. You just kind of caught the bug there. And then for other people, you know, it does help to go to culinary school. And I think something that you hit on there, Jake, is it helps you make connections. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not just meeting people at one restaurant or, you know, a, a couple different restaurants that you work at, but you're developing connections with professors, with uh, fellow classmates who are going to go elsewhere in the country. They're, they're, it just kind of opens the window a little bit wider, maybe. Yeah. Does I that make sense? It does. I think the one thing about culinary school that is, or at least as far as learning, and this is maybe specific to me, but I was always a better learner when I was in a group that I was challenged by, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when you're in culinary school, what I found with my experience at culinary school is I was in a group of people that were more or less at my same level of understanding and expertise. But when I was in, when I left corner school, I went to work. Well, then I was like watching a guy who had been cooking, you know, pasta for 30 years. And I was like, well, I don't know anything. And I have (laughs) to learn 
quickly because, uh-huh. and you know, so you're just almost pushed a little bit quicker in the restaurant industry to learn where you can be a little bit more, um, I don't know, for the, the culinary school is just a little more forgiving. It's school. You're paying to be there, you know, right. rather than being paid to be there. And you so have I, time to tinker. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to execute perfectly every time. In fact, you learn more from the moments you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And right. you have time to go through that process versus that expectation of a deadline of a dish on a plate of all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, I mean, culinary school gives you the opportunity to fail, but that opportunity and so does a restaurant, but the opportunity to, to fail at a restaurant is a different feeling and sensation when you're under the gun, when it matters, when two minutes feels like 20 and 30 seconds is too long, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just totally different, totally different from whatever, I guess, your personality is. So, Jake, you said if you were to do it again today, just due to the costs, you would not take the same path that you did last time. What would you do? Well, if I was me today, because yes. I'm a different person today than I was when I was 17. We're looking at Jake you know? today, <laughs> yeah. not 17-year-old <laughs> yeah. Jake. What is Jake doing? Um, well, I know what I want to do now. You know, I think that yeah. the, what I really got a lot out of culinary school was because I knew that I, wa- I liked cooking. Mm-hmm. I was uh, enjoying the job that I was in, but I, I wasn't, I didn't know anything more than that. I didn't know about fine dining from Omaha, you know, and started cooking in 2004, you know. There wasn't a lot of fine dining restaurants or forward-thinking food opportunities for me to be here. So I didn't know what Michelin was when I was 15, like my sister did or whatever, you know. And so culinary school really gave me an opportunity to kind of just play the field. And I, and I will always value that experience where I did learn what Michelin was. I learned what the James Beard was. I learned what other cities were doing. And I got to meet people from California and New York and Florida and overseas. And they really set my spectrum, uh, you know, a little bit way wider than I knew. And so that part of culinary school is invaluable. And, and if I was to do it again, um, me today as I am, I would probably travel and, and be far more confident in conversation than I was then knowing that I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was hard for me to be confident when I knew that I was the kid from Omaha that uh, I hadn't seen. F- I, I, I can catch you a real nice lake fish. You know, if you want to, I'll take <laughs> yeah. you to some beautiful lakes, but I've never seen the ocean, uh-huh. you know, right. or like, so um, it gave me a lot of opportunity there. But I think that life over the last 12 years or so, 13 years since then, has kind of given me a similar opportunity. Would you agree with that, Amanda? And just that going to culinary school maybe expands your horizons a little bit, or at least does it more quickly than it would just jumping into the industry? Oh, for sure. Um, because like you said, you're you know, depending on where you're going to work at, there's a certain scope of focus. Uh, like you work at a pasta-focused restaurant, you're really going to hone in on that. You work at you know, uh, anywhere that does volume versus a smaller restaurant like Mertz, you're you're going to be really focused on prepping quickly and delivering high quality uh, at, at high quantity. And or you might be in a place that that just really wants to do this one thing very perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I think I value my culinary school experience. I don't think I would do it any differently mm-hmm. because. Uh, like like Jake was saying, the relationships that you get out of that, the conversations that you have, I think that's where I've learned the most. The moments you had to uh, think on your feet with people you don't know so well that are all in the same boat, and how do you work your way out of that? That's something that, I mean, we do every day. How do you how do you adapt to situations on the line or during service? And those things happen by working with different people, and I think that's was the fastest way to expose myself. Uh, to that kind of thinking. 
I think if I, to really sum up my answer, long story short, if I was to do it again today, I would spend the $25,000 I learned or I spent to learn how to cook and you'd find me in Vietnam for, for, for a bit, you know, (laughs) (laughs) with a really sick backpack, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and see what I came back with. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, luckily we don't have to write any revisionist history. (laughs) You guys' past have led you to this point in time where we in Omaha just have this amazing restaurant in V Mertz that we get to enjoy. And like we've talked about, you can go in, you can do the tasting menu, you can, you know, have a great experience doing that. You can come in, you can have a very casual, just laid back dinner or not even dinner, but maybe just appetizers and drinks. You can do that. It is very personalized. And I think that that's, if you're not comfortable going out right now, which a lot of people aren't, you can get it to go, like mm-hmm. you guys mentioned. And I, I think that's amazing. And, and I want to thank you, too, for, for really for bringing that to Omaha. I think that, you know, so many times we don't think about the people behind the plate. Mm-hmm. And that's really something that I've tried to think about a lot more is, like, who, who made this? Why did they make it this way? Um, and really try to appreciate that more. And I just I want to thank you guys for, for putting in the work to, to make V-Merts what it is and for helping Omaha's culinary community just get all that much better because of it we appreciate the conversation thanks Thanks for having us so much yeah thank you and as always omaha thanks for reading with us